The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. And this morning, I am really excited to open up and continue in Exodus. Um, this is a great series so far. Uh, this morning will be in Exodus 5, so if you want to open up your Bible and kind of put your finger there, that's where we'll be. Um, and uh, it's interesting, this, this passage, uh, when, when Pastor Blair asked me if I would preach it, I jumped at the chance and then I read it and I said, oh, <laughs> it's one of those passages. But it is a fantastic passage and it has great uh, teaching for us this morning. But it is kind of about how we respond to God's plan in good, and then how we respond when things don't go so good. And so this morning, like I said, we're, we're going to jump into Acts, or sorry, not Acts, Exodus 5. Um, and it's funny because the first word, and I love uh, looking at certain words in the Bible, the first word of the chapter said afterwards. And so that reminded me that this is a great spot for a quick recap. Because it's telling us, after some stuff happened, this is now what's going on. So, we're going to look back just quickly. I'm not, you know, you can't cover four chapters uh, in depth all at once. But just quickly, we, we know that God's people, the Israelites, ha had lived uh, in Egypt. Uh, when they were there with Joseph, they, they, were, they were raised up. And, and since then, it's been about 400 years, and now they're enslaved. And Pharaoh is, is the king of Egypt, and, and he's made some edicts, and, and we then meet, as they cry out to the Lord for salvation, we, we meet this young man, this boy, this baby at first, Moses. Now Moses, we see him living in Pharaoh's house as an adopted son. He has access to all the privileges of the world, if you would. Uh, and he's there for 40 years, and then he... He gives that all over in, in an act where he is defending one of his own people, a Hebrew who's being beaten, and he murders an Egyptian. And in that moment, he decides to run, and he runs to the wilderness of Midian, and, and, and then he becomes a shepherd. So 40 years in all that money and power can buy to 40 years in the wilderness, counting on God. In, in a solitary role as a shepherd. And then God appears to him, and, and this is a well-known verse. His manifest presence comes in the burning bush, and he speaks to Moses, and he calls him out to lead his people. He gives him a mission. And he commissions him to go back to Egypt and lead his people out of slavery. And he, he tells him, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you some powerful signs. right? And then just last week in, in, in chapter 4, we see as Moses goes to the Israelites and, and he, he demonstrates that God is hearing them. He knows them. He's heard their cries, their pleas, and he has sent Moses to set them free. And, and the last verse of chapter 4 says they bowed down and worshiped. And we're like, yeah, that's awesome. And that is a great place to start chapter 5. So if you look at verse 1 with me, it says, Afterward, after all that, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord. 
the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Yes. Slaves, mind you, Moses and Aaron, walk into the king of Egypt with power, with boldness, and say, God said, let my people go. And this is how we act in faith. In faith, we act boldly. Now, if you remember, we're coming off of kind of one of the greatest camp highs. Anybody know what I mean by camp high? Right? You come back from camp, and you're really excited about what God did. Maybe he made his self known to you, and you're, you're ready. You're going to go and preach the gospel, and you're going to go conquer the world. You're saving everybody, and you're super excited. Maybe it's a mission trip that you've been on. You came back just with power and the presence of God in you, and, and you were ready to go act boldly. Some people, it's from a conference or a concert that they have an, an experience with God. And that's really what this is, the result of an experience with the manifest presence of God. But I want you to know that it should not be just a camp high experience. We have access to that same experience every day. As we open up God's word, it's our chance to have an experience with God. As the Holy Spirit quickens us and, and reveals his, his promises to us, we should be able to live like this every day, boldly, going to Pharaoh and telling him, this is what God said. It's awesome. It's exactly what we want to do. It's a great place to start. And then we get to verse 2. <laughs> and so um, we're going to see how different people respond to God and his promises. So in verse 2 it says, But Pharaoh, but Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. That's probably not what Moses and Aaron were expecting, right? God has made a promise. They have power. They go boldly, and it's like hitting a brick wall. No response. Actually, a negative response, a hostile response. So you've got to understand that Pharaoh, in his mind, believes that he is deity. He is God on earth, and he is the most powerful person in his kingdom. And now... These two slaves say that their God, who allows them to be slaves, is going to tell him what to do, this God that he doesn't know. And so his reaction is, no. And then in verse 3 it says, Then they, Moses and Aaron, the God, said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three-day journeys into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God lest we fall lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with sword their tone kind of changed right no longer are they coming with bold demands but they're kind of pleading like please let us go we don't want something bad to happen to us cuz we're not listening to God in verse 4 it says but the king of Egypt said to them Moses and Aaron 
Why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. you got to understand that the demand that they're putting on Pharaoh is to take away his workforce. And that very much affects him. That's his power base. That's impacting his kingdom. Production goes down. Anybody deal with that? Like work stuff? If you do this, you're going to impact me. Production goes down. My power is impacted. My wealth is impacted. That's how Pharaoh sees it. In the same day, it says in verse 6, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of, of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. In verse 9 it says, Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. And that's often a response that we get when we show faith is, is more burden piles on us. Because what happens when we get burdened, when we get weighed down? We're unable to look up to God. We're unable to hear the word of God because we're consumed and, and focused on this task that is weighing us and burdening us. And so that's what Pharaoh wants. I don't want to lose any power that I have, so pile on the burden. He goes on and says, So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your own straw. Get it yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. Again, this is not what they expected. Although if they had really listened to God and his plan, he said he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But they went in, rightly so, acting boldly, and everything went wrong. The reaction was not what they expected. So we have to wonder, like, what do we do when things don't go as expected? Well, we have to look at Pharaoh's reaction. His reaction was that of somebody who is lost. And we shouldn't be surprised when lost people act lost. People who are unredeemed, people who do not have the Spirit of God living in them, are not going to act like redeemed people who have the Spirit of God in them. And sometimes they're going to be hostile. If you threaten me and my little kingdom, I'm going to come back at you. I'm going to try and hurt you. I'm going to try and make things hard on you. I'm going to belittle you. I'm going to berate you. So that's the response that we see from Pharaoh. 
I want to ask you right now, just think in your mind, are there people in your life, whatever spheres of relationships and influence you have, are there people in your life that react like that to your faith? Maybe somebody who is in a position of authority wants to kind of push you down and, and keep that away from my little kingdom. Are there people who mock you or make life difficult for you because of your faith? I have people like that that I've dealt with. And, and it's funny because I, I go in with the bold act of faith and then get that response, and I shouldn't be surprised because they're lost people. So what do we do when... God's plan doesn't conform to our expectations, and we run into this hostility and this pushback. Well, do we strike back with hostility? No, we're called set apart, called to be different. So we're supposed to love them. You know, Jesus said, love your enemy and pray for them. Like, that's what we're called to do. And so when you run into that, don't let those expectations that you have be impacted by others' hostility. So what do we do when things don't go as we expected? We'll see a couple responses from the Israelite foreman. And so you have to understand, when it says taskmasters, those are Egyptians. They're in charge of the slaves overall. They're in charge of production. They're getting the job done. There's, there's no uh, feeling of remorse or sympathy for these slaves. Now, the foremen are actually Israelites that they've pulled up to be over the rest of the slaves. And so these foremen, at the end of verse 4, would have been with everybody else, bowing down and worshiping and thankful that God had made a promise to bring them out of slavery. But in verse 14, we see a new response. It says, And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why, do you, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried out to God. If you read along with me, you know that that's not what they did. It says they came and cried to Pharaoh. Why do you treat your servants like this? It's a very different response than crying out to God as they did. And, and he came and said, I heard you. I know you. You're my people and I'm, I'm going to deliver you. Now they're beaten. Things aren't going well. And they turn and cry out to Pharaoh. They say, no straw is given to your servants yet. They say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he, Pharaoh, said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you still must deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. When they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. So we see this. We see a response of weak faith. And with weak faith, we look elsewhere. Notice that they 
in faith had cried out to God, God revealed his plan, and now things didn't go as expected. And instead of going back to God vertically, they start looking around horizontally at who's going to help me? Who's going to be my salvation now? And so they cry out to Pharaoh. But his response is the same. It's a hard, lost, hostile response. What they did is, is they, they said, the salvation that was promised didn't come as I expected, so now I need to find somebody else to do it for me. Instead of holding true to the promises of God, they wanted a, a different response. And then we see what they do next as we tra- uh, continue on in verse 20. It says, they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you've made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you've put a sword in their hand to kill us. This is another weak faith response. We, we lash out. And we lash out at God, and we lash out at the things that represent God to us. So in this case, Moses is the representation of God. He has brought the message of God, and they lash out, and they say, God curse you. Anybody ever been in a position where you're, you're hurting, and you're lost, and you're in darkness, and... and when you see those things that represent God and you're mad at God, let's be honest, some people are mad at God, you lash out at the things that represent God. You lash out at the church. You distance yourself from your small group. You, you act as a hurt people. And so it's interesting, this passage with, with the looking elsewhere and the lashing out really reminded me of, of the last week of Jesus's life and ministry on earth. Because if you remember, he rides into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry, and they are singing, Hallelujah, our Messiah, our Savior has come. But their expectation of what he's supposed to do is he's supposed to free them from the Romans. And he didn't do that the way they expected. So from the time he rides in to that Friday when they say, Crucify him, they've decided to look elsewhere and to lash out. They went from hallelujah to crucify him because things didn't go the way they expected. It wasn't how they would have done it if they were God. I want you to know that this is a reaction that a lot of people have. It's something that wells up in us immediately often. And it has to be fought with faith and trust in God. We're living in a life that is fearful. Um, we're turning towards an unbelieving world to find a fix for our problems. As, as we look around and, and, and the pandemic is spiking again and we have hatred and injustice that's dividing our country, many times our response isn't where it's supposed to be. It's not going to God but it's looking around for who's in authority here that I can see, that I can see if they'll change something for me. They'll become my salvation. Or I'm lashing out in anger and hatred when we're called to love. 
So if we think about it, those are some reactions that happen when our faith is weakened, when we're not really believing who God is and what he says he is and what he said he'll do. But then in verse 22 and 23, we see the response from Moses. And it says, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why do you even send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I was like, uh-oh, somebody's going to get in trouble because you don't get to talk to God like that, right? I don't know about you, but when I came to faith, people told me that I couldn't go to God like that. I couldn't show my anger. I had to dress it up. And when I was mad, I had to be like, well, I'm not really mad, God. And when I had anxiety or fear, I had to cover it up when I come to him, which is the dumbest thing. Because he sees our heart. He knows what we're going through. But I was told that it showed a lack of faith to doubt, to have questions, to react emotionally to what's going on around me. And I'll tell you that that is such a lie. It is a faith-stealing, power-sapping lie. Because what Moses does here is the most powerful thing that he could do. And it's, it's, it's something that's often lost in our church today. And it's called lament. Some people don't even know what lament means or is. Although there's a book actually called Lamentations, right? Where the people of Israel are lamenting. They're crying out to God and saying, this stinks. And I don't understand. And what are you doing? But notice the most important thing is he didn't turn to Pharaoh and he didn't go to Aaron and he didn't stew on it himself. It says, Moses turned to the Lord. Why did he turn to the Lord? The Lord's the only one who has true power. The only one who can really make a change that's impactful. He is all-powerful. So why would you turn to a lesser being? Why would you submit yourself to a small g God who's worried about his little kingdom when you can go to the one all-powerful, almighty, sovereign God of the universe? And the other thing, not only is he all-powerful, but he is wise. He has all wisdom. And I often use this illustration for people because a lot of this has to do with our perspective of things. So if I go out in the parking lot and I look around, my perspective of what's around me is actually blocked. There's buildings, there's stuff, there's cars. I can't see very far. And so my perspective is closed in. Now, if I was to, say, go out to West Texas, a little flatter, right, maybe up near the panhandle, and I climb a tall tower, then my perspective changes. I can see a lot more, right? But guess what? I can still only see to the horizon, and I don't know what's beyond that horizon. 
So as, as I mature, my perspective might grow, but it's still limited. But God sits above all, sees all at once, outside of time. He knows the end from the beginning. His plan takes everything into consideration. He is wisdom. So why would we turn to somebody who's a limited perspective like us when we can go to God who is all-powerful and has all wisdom, and we can make our concerns known to him. I want you to know that you see this quite a lot. I talked about lamentations, but really if you look through the psalms, about a third-ish of them are psalms of lament. Especially if you read the psalms of David. I love them because he is so raw. He doesn't try and pretty it up. He doesn't try and um, make it nice. He says, these things are awful. I hate these people who are hurting me, chasing me down. God, what are you doing about it? But he always says in the end, I trust you, Lord. And so I want you to take a tool to lament. As we go through these times where, like I said, the the COVID uh, pandemic, the, the crisis of hatred and injustice, and, and just this divisiveness in our country. Um, let's bring it on home, right? Somebody that you know and love who's sick, and you've called out to God and asked him to heal them, and they didn't get healed. Or maybe you lost your job because of all this stuff going on. And it, it's a personal very real impact. What do you do with that other than bring it right to God? Because he's the only one who can change it. So I'm going to give you a format, kind of, um, for, for people who like acronyms. I'm going to give you an acronym. It's not very good, but it's the best I could do. It's T-C-A-T. T-C-A-T. And this is uh, based on a psalm of lament, uh, Psalm 13. And it's, it's kind of a format to help us know how to approach God in right lament. So the first one is what we saw Moses do, is turn to God. Turn to God. We turn to God because of who he is and what he's done and what he says he will do. Right? We, we turn to God because he has called us to remember who he is, his character, what he's done. We turn to God because he is all-powerful and all-knowing. We don't turn inward because when we turn those things inward, we stew on it. It becomes cancerous in us. It kills us slowly. It saps our faith. We don't turn to those around us looking for a pity party. We're not saying, hey, come and be miserable with me because misery loves company, right? We're, we're bringing it to the one who can change it. So we turn to God, and then we complain. A lot of people are like, I don't like that word, especially if you've got kids. Yeah, I don't like complaining. But just as our kids can complain to us, we can go to our Heavenly Father, and we can complain. But let's complain rightly, right? He is the sovereign God of the universe, He's our Father in heaven. We need to identify that. And, and we come to him in fear and awe of who he is. But it doesn't mean that we 
dance around or, or pretty it up. We come to him blunt and raw and transparent and vulnerable. But we complain. We say, God, I hate this. I hate the pain I'm going through. I hate the anxiety I feel. I, I hate fear. I hate what's going on. I see wickedness around me all the time. And we complain. God, why is it like this? And then, after we turn to him and complain, we ask and we ask boldly. I was taught in the military, never bring your complaint without a solution. Or, or at least have an ask of what you want out of it. So we come and we bring that complaint and we say, God, I hate this. But God, I ask you to do something about it. You to find a cure for this pandemic. You to, to unite us in love. You to heal that person or heal my heart when it hurts so bad. You to provide what I need in my family. And, and when we ask those things boldly, then we trust. And we trust in advance. So we see that we turn to God, we complain, we ask, and we trust in advance. Why do we trust? Because he's trustworthy. Why do we trust? Because he is the one. He, remember, provided us Exodus. The Exodus we read about, where he has taken his people out of slavery, physical slavery, and took them to the promised land, which points to where we hold our trust now, which is the reflection of that, the truth of that, which is the fullness of Christ that Christ really has, has taken us out of slavery, the slavery of sin and death. It's, it's his work and it's his character that we rely on and we turn to when things don't go the way we expect or we've had planned. And then we look to the future. So remember what we talked about, our exodus, when we look at this, it is to reflect back on who God is and what he's done to look at our current situation, our circumstances, what's going on with his plan that we don't understand, and then look forward to the hope of his return, looking back to understand our current situation so we can look forward with hope. And the reason we can hope is because of Jesus. Because from the beginning, God knew the plan Though we were rebellious and sinful in our hearts, he knew that we needed saving. We needed saving from sin and death. And so from the beginning, before anything happened, he had a plan set in motion to send his son Jesus, who had not come in the way that we would have expected. Uh, uh, maybe a military hero, a conquering warrior to save us from oppression, but he came as a teacher, meek. He came as a suffering servant. And he lived a life of perfection, tempted as we are tempted, but sinless. So that he could live the life that we were supposed to live and fail. And then he died on the cross. The death that we deserve, right? And, and, and God poured out the wrath that belonged 
to my sin and your sin, and he poured every bit of wrath onto Jesus for every sin ever. And so what we trust is that in that moment when Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished, and it counted for you and me. And now we have a hope of glory that when he does return next, it will be as the conquering king. He will come in full glory, and he will make every knee bow and every tongue confess that he, Jesus, is Lord. And so we take those truths and we hold on to them, and we know who God is. He is good, and he is love, and he is just, and he is worthy of all our praise, and he is wise. And so we trust his plan, even in a circumstances that we don't understand so that we can hope. So take this tool and, and make lament a part of your life when these things go wrong and look vertical instead of horizontal. You guys pray with me. Father in heaven, we love you so much.